Good morning. Since you all lost an hour of sleep last night, and I can tell, uh, <laughs> we're going to start off with a little thought exercise. You guys need to get involved. Are you ready? All right, and this includes the kids. I didn't realize you're going to be here, but even better. So this is for you too, okay? I want you to think about a recent fight that you had. I want you to think about a recent conflict that you are personally involved in. Something that made you feel really angry or really hurt inside. I'm actually, I want you to actually think of something, all right? So it, it could have been with a friend or, or a spouse. It could have been with a coworker or a classmate or a professor. It might have even happened this morning with one of your kids on the way to church. That's getting a little too close to home, too personal. I'm not targeting anyone. But I want you to have an actual conflict in mind. And if it isn't recent, something from the past, okay? I'm going to give you a few seconds to think about it. Do you have it? You have a recent conflict? Okay. Now I want to dig a little bit further. What was it about that specific situation that made you feel so angry or so hurt? Or to put it another way, specifically, what did you want that you did not get? What did you want that you did not get? I want you to think of something. It could have been a specific toy you wanted to play with, right? Men? Um, <laughs> could have been your chance at the video game console. Could have been respect. A desire to feel loved or valued. Maybe you wanted to be listened to. Maybe you wanted your kids to obey. Now, Whatever it is that you wanted, I want you to tuck that away for a little bit, and we're going to come back to it, all right? But don't forget it. The sad reality is that our entire world is filled with conflict. Nations fight against nations. Republicans fight against Democrats. Libertarians fight against everybody. And then we have to go to work or class or church and deal with all these people, right? This morning, we're going to be talking about conflict. We're going to do that by studying the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. You can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. We'll be especially focusing on James 4, verses 1 through 6. In this very practical section of Scripture, James is going to address four issues that get at the heart of our conflicts and that may even provide us a way forward. He's going to address why we fight, why we don't get what we want, why it matters, and why there's hope. 
It's always important to end with hope. So let me read James chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Uh, But to give a bit of the broader context, I'd like to actually start reading in James chapter 3, verse 13, and read all the way through through James 4, 6. It says in James 3, 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But... The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now our passage, James 4, 1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Let me pray. Father, may you give us this morning humble hearts. To receive your word, to be transformed by your gospel, and to live in peace with God and man. In Jesus' name, amen. So James is writing likely to Jewish Christians, men and women who likely knew the word of God, who were probably pretty committed to their religious practices. And who were likely considered pretty wise, especially in comparison with the world around them. They're probably like many of us. You've gone to church for years. You go to Sunday school. You know your theology pretty well. You might even have a MacArthur study Bible. And some of you will probably be critiquing the finer points of my sermon this morning. I mean, in comparison with the world, 
This was a wise group of people. That's why, right before our passage, in James 3.13, James asks the question, Who is wise and understanding among you? And he expects a number of them to raise their hands, at least in their hearts. Yeah, pretty wise, especially in comparison with the world. And, And they would raise their hands because they think that wisdom is ultimately about knowledge and doctrine and religion. But they are wrong. They are wrong because according to the Bible, true wisdom, godly wisdom, is about the heart. It's about how we live in a relationship with God and with each other. That's essentially what James says in James 3, 17 through 18, where he writes, But the wisdom from above, the wisdom from God, is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I love that image, sowing peace and producing a harvest of righteousness. We live in a society that feeds off conflict. It is the defining feature of our news and social media. And it is a reflection of who we are as a people. We are a conflictive people living in a world of constant conflict. But James says that the truly wise among us are what? They're they're the peacemakers who sow peace and from that produce a harvest of righteousness. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 5.10, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. So why do we fight? According to James 4, verses 1 through 2, we fight because of our sinful desires. Because of our sinful desires. It says in James 4, verses 1 and 2, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. Why do we fight? Because our passions are at war within us. And the us is us within our members. Because we sinfully desire what we don't have. And we covet what other people do have. And so we kill and fight and quarrel in order to get whatever that thing is that matters so much to us. Earlier in James 3:14 and 16, James talks about it in terms of jealousy 
and selfish ambition. So remember that conflict you thought about earlier? What was it that you wanted so badly that you were willing to fight over it? What was that thing? Sometimes it's an actual thing. That's why kids do fight over toys and video games. And that's why men par- fight over parking spaces. But, but oftentimes it's not as simple as that. Sometimes what we really want is to be respected or to feel cared for or loved or for our kids to obey us or to feel listened to and valued by our husband or wife or friends or boss. And sometimes we just want to feel happy. And none of those things in of themselves are bad things. But they become bad when one of two things happens. First, they become bad things when they become idols. When they become idols. When they become necessary and essential for our happiness and well-being. And so we fight for them at all costs because we need them. Because we are incomplete without them. And that happens when we ultimately believe the lie that God's provision for me is not enough. And that I need something more. And so our passions become idols, false gods who we serve. Secondly, those things become bad things when I make myself an idol. When I put myself in the place of God as the center of the universe. And when the universe, or my wife, or my kids, or my boss, or my pastor, when they don't treat me with the respect or the love that I am due... Or when someone takes that parking space I was eyeing at Walmart. Lord have mercy. Because we will take the hammer of God and we will fight and quarrel and crush them. Until we are properly worshipped. And so our sinful desires lead us into idolatry and constant conflict. When James says that we murder one another, he's really getting at the seriousness of this sort of relational violence and infighting. And and he seems to be echoing Jesus' own words in Matthew 5, verses 21 through 22, where Jesus says, You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder. And whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. You see, we focus on on the external stuff. But what God cares about is the heart about the internal motivations that drive us. 
And the crazy thing is that anger and murder come from the same bad seed. And the end result of both is death. When James says that our passions are at war within us in verse 1, he's talking about what happens when a group of idolatrous people try to live together, each pursuing their own self-interest, their own preferences, their own pet projects, their own passions and pleasures. And if we don't get what we want, we will burn the place down. This can happen in your marriage. It can happen in your friend group. And it can certainly happen in the church when we as members of the body of Christ stop making it about Jesus and we start making it about us. We actually see this happen quite often with our young theologians, especially men. They discover the amazing doctrines of grace and suddenly they start fighting everyone. They start off debating some valuable point of theology and they end up angry and attacking. Why does that happen? I think it oftentimes happens because we start off defending our God and we end up defending ourselves. And isn't that a kind of idolatry in and of itself? When we take the glory of God and we make it about me? Why do we fight? Because of our sinful passions. Because we don't have what we so desperately want. That's why. And that leads us to our second point. Why don't we get what we want? According to James, it's because we don't ask. And when we do ask, we ask with wrong motives. Look at James chapter 4, the second part of verse 2 and verse 3 says this. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So why don't we get what we want? Two reasons, pretty simple. We don't get what we want because we don't ask and because we ask with wrong motives. Now, many years ago, when I was a, a new believer, I had uh, the opportunity to see the late Billy Graham at one of his events. And he said something that actually st has stuck with me for all these years. He said, Heaven is full of answers to prayers we never asked. That kind of stuck with me. James says this, in James 1, verse 5. In James 1, 5, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. 
And then James says in James 1, verses 16 and 17, Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. And then he says in our passage in James 4, 3, You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. We ask in order to waste it on our own sinful, selfish desires. We don't ask at all. The generous, gracious God who freely gives, we don't ask him. And then when we do ask him, we ask him because we want to sin. Because we want to feed our sinful desires. But God is not in the business of blessing our sin. I think that's kind of James's point. He doesn't honor requests that will dishonor him. He doesn't send ammunition to the enemy. And he also does not contribute to the destruction of his own people. Sometimes God's refusal to say yes is an act of judgment. But oftentimes it is actually an act of mercy. Remember, the wages of sin is death. God is merciful when he says no. I mean, we we don't feed rat poison to children, right? No matter how much they ask. And we don't give a gun to a child who can pull the trigger but can't aim. No matter how much they want to. Because that is deadly and dangerous. When God says no, he is oftentimes protecting us from ourselves and from his righteous anger. So James tells us that God will not answer our prayers when we have wrong motives. And that leads us to the question, then what are good motives, right? What are the things that God loves to say yes to? I think two other passages in James actually gives us an initial answer. In James chapter 4, verse 6, He says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And earlier in James chapter 2, verse 8, he says, If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. So what should motivate our prayers? Humility toward God and love towards people. Humility toward God and love towards people. Prayers that place us under the word of God and under the purposes of God. And prayers that seek the well-being of other people. Those are the prayers that God loves to answer. There is no violence or pride or greed in those kinds of prayers. If humility and love are the driving motivations of your heart as you pray, you can be certain that God will either say yes or he will have something better in store. 
So why do we fight? Because of our sinful desires. Why don't we get what we want? Because we don't ask our generous God or we ask with sinful motives. And now, our third point, why does any of this matter? Why does it really matter? It matters because when we fight, we are not just fighting amongst ourselves. We are actually aligning ourselves with the enemy of God, with Satan himself. And that means that our fights are not just interpersonal conflicts between us, they're actually acts of spiritual adultery and deep betrayal of our God. They're acts of treason against the sovereign king of the universe. Let me read James chapter 4, verses 4 through 5. He says this, You adulterous people! Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? When, when we fight with one another, we align ourselves with the values and priorities and passions of this fallen, broken, sinful world. The very same values and priorities and passions that Jesus had to die in order to conquer. When James talks about being friends of the world, he is not using the, the, the world in some neutral sense. He is talking about this fallen world system that is ruled by the devil himself. This flows directly out of James chapter 3, verses 14 and 15, when he says that bitter jealousy and selfish ambition is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. He says it's demonic. The pride and selfishness that produces so many of our conflicts is actually an expression of Satan's rule over our world. And you, you may think I'm exaggerating, so let me read you a series of passages. In 1 John 5.19, it says that the world lies in the power of the evil one. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 calls Satan the god of this world. Ephesians 2 One and two calls the devil the prince of the power of the air. In John 12, 31, Jesus himself calls Satan the ruler of this world. And for this reason, our text, James 4, 4, says, You adulterous people! Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. 
And then right after, in verse 7, he calls us to resist the devil. When we fight with one another, when we are characterized by quarrels and disagreements in our families, in our workplaces, in our universities, in our churches, we are committing an act of treason by aligning ourselves with the enemy of God. And in so doing, we are making ourselves enemies of God. And if I can tell you one thing with certainty, you do not want to be an enemy of God. You do not want the creator of the universe, who is the judge of the living and the dead, you do not want him to stand in opposition to you. Because you will be totally and utterly destroyed as your sin deserves. This is heavy stuff, right? I don't have a joke to insert here. And so we find ourselves, even as Christians, in a terrifying dilemma. As as Christians, we want to say yes to the goodness and justice of our God. But there's a major problem. James is writing to Christians. And we have already done exactly what he told us not to do. This spiritual adultery... This act of, tra- of treason, it's already been committed. We've already done it. And the evidence is in the long and sordid history of the very fights and quarrels that James is warning us about right here. The very fights and quarrels we had this morning or yesterday or last week. Maybe you yelled at your kids this morning because they couldn't get up or they weren't moving fast enough. Or or maybe you've been emotionally cold to your husband in order to get what you want. Or maybe you've been harsh with your wife as a display of masculine power. Or maybe you've committed violence with your tongue or with your keyboard through gossip, or slander, or innuendo. Or maybe you've crushed others under your feet with your incredible intellect and rhetorical skills. Whatever it is, as we look at this text, we cannot escape our own guilt. I want, I want to especially warn those of us who, who look around ourselves and seem to constantly find ourselves surrounded by conflict and drama. When you look around, you think, I, I, I'm always dealing with conflict and drama all, all around me. If that's you, is it possible that you find yourself in the middle of all this strife Because you are the common denominator. Because you have allowed your own fears and insecurities and ambitions 
and idols to spill over and to contaminate all of your relationships? Has your happiness become the God that everyone must serve? Or has winning become more important than loving? Or your reputation more important than God's reputation? Have you started fighting the enemy using the very weapons that he employs and so been unwittingly drafted as a foot soldier in his ranks, a traitor to the true king? Brothers and sisters, we are in trouble. We fight because of our sinful desires. We don't get what we want because we don't ask. And when we do ask, we ask with sinful motives. And by doing so, we have betrayed our king and unwittingly joined ourselves with the enemies of God. But the story doesn't end there. So I want to end our time together with some good news. All right? If you take a breath. Now the good news. I want to let you know why there's hope. Hope even for people like you and me. Read James chapter 4, verse 6. After all that, it says this. But he, but God, gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. God gives undeserved favor to the humble. That's what he loves to do. The message of the gospel is not about burying you under a mountain of guilt. It's also not about us just doing better and trying to balance out our sins and our good deeds. That's not what it's about. It's about grace. It's about the undeserved compassion of God, who is not surprised by your sin, and who does not give up on his people. That is why this letter was written. Is it a warning? Absolutely, it's a warning. But it is also an invitation. An invitation to once again humble ourselves before our gracious God and turn from our sins, knowing with certainty that He will receive us and restore us. And why will He do that? Because of Jesus. He'll do that because of Jesus. Because our God is not distant. But instead, he is drawn near to us in the person of Jesus. The compassionate and merciful one. Creator of the heavens and the earth. The sovereign Lord of all creation. Cares so much about us that he humiliated himself and took on human flesh and he lived among us in the person of Jesus 
It almost sounds offensive that God would do that. But so great is his love for us that he would dirty his hands to become one of us. And what did Jesus do, God in the flesh? He could have come, he could have crushed us in righteous judgment. But instead he came to save us by his incredible love. The gospel message, the Christian faith, is essentially summarized in this. That 2,000 years ago, Jesus paid the price for our sins. Dying in my place. Taking my sin upon himself as my substitute. The perfect one. The all-righteous one. The sovereign one. God in the flesh paying the price for my adultery, for my ambition, for my pride, and for my stupid, selfish conflicts. And in so doing, he satisfied the demands of justice and also broke the power of sin and evil in my life. Jesus humbled himself by becoming a servant, loving us so much that he died on the cross on our behalf. I'm literally standing in front of an instrument of torture. How in the world can we celebrate an instrument of torture? It's because our God was tortured for us. Jesus made peace by sacrificing himself. And God the Father accepted that sacrifice and raised him bodily from the dead. And he exalted him to the highest place of honor above every name in heaven and on earth and under the earth. That's why we have hope. In a similar way, If we will humble ourselves before our Creator, repenting from, turning from our sins, and entrusting our lives in faith to Jesus as Lord, as the resurrected King, He will save us. And He will exalt us. Not as enemies to be put on display, but as sons and daughters to be received and loved. James explains it this way in James 4, verses 6 through 10, what this humility looks like. He says, But God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. These are images of repentance and humility. And then he says this in verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you as a son 
and daughter of God. If you are a follower of Jesus, he welcomes you to return to your first love and to be renewed and transformed by his grace. If you are here and you've never trusted in Jesus, the good news is that he offers the same grace. The same offer of grace is extended to you as well if you will turn from your sin and call out to Jesus in humility and faith. He will free you. He will forgive you. He will receive you. And he will transform your life. Now, before I close with prayer, I would like to clarify something important. Because some of you might be thinking, okay, Joshua, but, but shouldn't we fight against evil and against false religion and the secular lies of our world? Shouldn't we do that? And the answer is yes. Absolutely yes. But as we fight against evil, we do not take up the weapons of the evil one. We do not wage war according to the flesh. But instead, we wield the powerful and counterintuitive weapons of the gospel. Of a king who lays down his life for his enemies. And who commands us not to kill our enemies or to humiliate our enemies but instead to love our enemies and to pray for them and to do good to them. Do you want to know how to fight evil in our world? All you have to do is read through the first few chapters of the book of James. You can do it right after the church service ends. Let me summarize some of the things that James says in James chapters 1 through 4. According to James, we fight against evil and we strive with our opponents by being quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. We do it by putting away all filthiness and wickedness, by receiving with humility the gospel word, by being doers of the word and not just hearers, by caring for widows and orphans. By keeping ourselves unstained by the world. By not showing partiality to the rich and powerful. By loving our neighbor as ourselves. By remembering that mercy triumphs over judgment. By putting, putting our faith into action by viewing our human opponents as people created in the likeness of God, by controlling our tongues, by being pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, by sowing peace and harvesting righteousness. 
by resisting the devil and drawing near to God. And by humbling ourselves before the Lord. These are our weapons of righteousness. And that's just from the first four chapters of James. That's how we fight evil. By trusting in our God and following the example of our King. All right, once again, remember that thought exercise you did at the very beginning? Think back to that conflict again for a moment. How would that conflict have turned out differently if your heart had been truly motivated by humility toward God and love toward people? How would that have changed things? How different would our friendships and marriages and churches and world be if we lived like that? That is exactly how our King Jesus lived. May we, as his people, go and do likewise. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. Father, may you make us peacemakers. May you give us peace with you, with our neighbor. May you give us humble hearts. And may you give us the love that we lack. That we might love you and love others and so fulfill the royal law. In Jesus' name, amen.